here, you know, you, you can challenge what we say. Um, hopefully we, we stick to what the Bible says. That's our aim anyway. And sometimes it comes across a little bit difficult. And I, as I was looking at this story, I was reminded the children's song that we used to get our children to sing. And I realised that this morning that probably we were teaching to sing untruth, what the Bible doesn't say. And I thought, wow, having looked at it this morning, Mr. Noah built an ark. The people thought it was such a lark. Mr. Noah pleaded so, and into the ark they would not go. And I realised this morning from Scripture that Noah, that Noah didn't plead with the people to go into the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. And there's not a word recorded that he said. And Jesus said when he referred to the story of Noah, he said the people didn't know anything about it until the flood came. And I thought, I said, thank God for truth. It challenges what you think to make sure it's really right. And so here's a man that has an exceptional life that he's recorded as being a herald of righteousness and blameless in his generation. What an amazing man. And Moses is an amazing man too because he's the historian that recorded all this. And whilst we, we get challenged in our society that these stories aren't true, I think the first point I wanted to make to us this morning as we have been looking, this is such an amazing story, the story of Noah, that actually delete that word story and say this is a historical record of the wonders of an amazing God in an amazing situation. Let's read the story, shall we? We're in um, Genesis 8. And we're going to read through chapter 8 um, and a little bit into chapter 9 because it's all part of what we're, we're doing this morning. I might stop one or two places just to uh, you know, try and un unpack some of the things. We start off with verse 1. It says, God, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now you remember that our story right up until now is that the, uh, the, Noah and his family entered the ark with the animals that God brought to him. God brought them to him. But he had the responsibility of getting them into the ark, um, just, just to make things clear. But, and, and now Noah's being kept during this period of the flood, and they're actually coming out of the ark. And it says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. By remembered, some, some tra Bible translations uh, tell us that God didn't forget Noah. Now that's actually putting another slant on it. God didn't forget Noah, and he didn't forget Noah. God provided this ark as a means of safety and protection through the most destructive thing that's ever happened to this world. And God kept him. And they're going to come out in a minute. And it says, God remembered Noah. But what it's really saying here is that God is using Noah 
to be an example in a situation that would be remembered for the generations to come that would help people on their way to God. You say, how do you know that? Well, Noah's mentioned several times on. Isaiah mentions Noah, and Ezekiel mentions Noah, and Jesus mentions Noah, and the writer to the Hebrews mentions Noah, and Peter mentions Noah. And they all bring a lesson into the history of mankind in his relationship with God. So we can learn from that. God remembered Noah. He brought a man of remembrance into a situation. In other words, Noah won't forgotten. And neither should we forget him. We can say the same about Jesus. Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven and we should never forget him. Jesus was brought to this earth to turn the hearts and the minds of people back to God. That's what the gospel's all about, isn't it? So God remembered Noah, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, no story, these are precise details, days and months, and we'll notice just for the sake of those who say a day is a thousand years in scripture, in actual fact you have years and days mentioned in the same story. Just like you've got man and beast in the ark. We haven't got a situation where one's being converted to the other through the process of evolution. You have man and beast in the same room together after their kind, as it says. So here we are. You know, the waters continued and they abated until the tenth month. And the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. I just want to just retrack on, on a little bit of this amazing story. I was reading through it, and, and as we read of the God flooding the earth, it tells us about the heavens, come, the waters coming down from heaven and the waters coming from beneath, and it talks about the waters covering the mountain tops to a certain measurement. And I thought, who measured that? But you know, it's half the distance of the height of the boat, probably the plimsoll line of the boat so that the boat, when it floated, didn't crash. But this is all God's doings. This amazing story, how God puts things... God caused this to happen. And he caused Noah to be protected through it. And it was just amazing. Because this ark must have floated. It wasn't built for sailing. <laughs> and it wasn't built to be driven, but it floated. And it must have floated hundreds, yea, thousands of miles, I think, from... We think it, well, the commentators are right and historians are right from somewhere like Baghdad into Turkey. And it must have crossed mountain ranges. And I thought to myself, well, if that water wasn't deep enough, the ark would have collided with the mountaintops. But God flooded the earth to so much depth of water above the mountaintops so that that wouldn't happen. How amazing is our God? In all this destructive mode of God, he's protecting Noah. God has to deal with sin. He has to deal with our world. He has to protect it. That's why the flood happened. 
It wasn't for God to make the world know that he was a God of judgment so much. It's that God's protecting his whole concept of relationship with himself through man. The world had got to a state of misery and self-destruction. Man was destroying himself. So God had to do something about it. It's like us. You know, you look at a family or you look at a situation where people fight. Look at the war in Syria. Self-destruct. And that's how the world was, mainly through sex and violence, perverted sex and violence. It was destroying itself. And God had to do something about it. He wasn't to destroy man and get rid of him altogether. He showed both his grace and mercy in this situation. He's preserving Noah. So, let's on with our stories. Verse 6. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided on the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put his, out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. That's a bit quick, isn't it? In Cornwall, still the ground is not dry and it's soggy and the plants aren't growing. And yet in this short space of time, from all the water that was on the earth, it's now dry. This is a miraculous story as well. as just a story. Because our miraculous God is doing miraculous things in a situation. Verse 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the, ark had dried, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth or from his earliest years. 
neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. While the earth remains, what does that mean? While the earth remains in its present groaning, delivery room status, waiting for something to be done about it, the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not seed. God is going to do something in the future about this earth. So while the earth remains and waits for him to do that, these things God has promised to us on this earth. And he gave the sign of the rainbow, which we should just read on in chapter 9. Verse 1 of chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The same commission that God had given to Adam and Eve. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Bit of a conflict here, you might say. God can kill all the people on the earth, and yet he brings, brings Noah to this place, you know, a place where life is precious. And there should be an accounting if life is taken. This is not conflict. This is just the mystery of our wonderful and amazing God doing one thing to preserve and protect throughout the whole situation. Verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Remember that, God made man in his own image. Verse 7, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you, and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow or the rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, 
This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. Father, thank you for your word. We consider it to be believable truth this morning and truth to rely on for our lives' sake and for all that you did since then in Noah's livelihood and through the generations right down in today. We thank you and we praise you. Basically, we're going to look at two things this morning. One is that when Noah stepped out of the ark, the first thing he did was to worship, to, well, he built an altar and worshipped God. And the other thing is the covenant that God made with Noah. First thing I want to say is that we need to look at this in the context of Noah's life. Because his whole life was to please God. His whole life. And I believe that to be so very true. There's little indicators that we find about Noah. We read some direct things about Noah, that he was righteous in his generation and he was blameless before God. So how did he know what it was like to live a blameless life when there were no Ten Commandments and no real standards given of what it was like to be blameless? But we're told he lived a blameless life. He had no Ten Commandments to go by, and yet he lived a blameless life. He was a man who honoured family. And I think it's for that reason that God saved the whole family that Noah had. You read a very, there's just one little indicator, I think it's in chapter 5. You read the generation since Adam, it said, to that person was born a son, and they had other sons and daughters. And you read a whole list of people like that, until you read of Noah, and it says, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. To be a father of your family is one of the most significant things in life. And we'll see you later. But I believe Noah was a person who sought after God. He just didn't let it happen. He was a person who sought after God. That's how he knew how to please God. And we don't know what it was, but what we do know is that everything God said to him, he did. And that's the most amazing thing too, whatever it was. And when it came to this ark that he was supposed to build, we were told that... Um, he made it of gopher wood. And I thought, well, knows the gopher here. I don't know about the wood. Because you just imagine what he must have had to do to build that ark of wood so big and how he built it to, be, to have so much strength to hold them animals, to float for all those days. And that little bit I was reading yesterday about the 101 things that tell us the story of Noah isn't true. I thought to myself, there's two sides to this story. We can look at these date, details and say it's impossible, that wouldn't float, that wouldn't sustain all that life for those many days with all the turbulence which is going on there and all what's happening, it couldn't do that. But yet, on the other hand, you read that people have taken um, sort of dimensions, overall dimensions, and that to construct boats on today. I don't know how true that is, but anyway, if you just read it as it is, you say, this is an impossible thing to happen. 
You just imagine it, how that boat needs to be stable and, 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 and just to float with that weight in it and all the rest of it. All that wood he had to get had to be called, you know, this was no mean thing for a man. And yet he did all that God commanded him to do. So in Noah's life, we see, I see him as a God chaser. Now Tommy Tenney wrote a book called God Chasers. I haven't read it all the way through yet. I think if you challenge Fred, he would say, yes, I have. Because he's not one to pick up a book and put it down again. Do you read it twice? There you go. There have always been God chasers, and Noah was one of them. Are you a God chaser? Am I a God chaser? Have we got a heart and a mind to find God? Seek him out? Is it really in our passion as we get up in the morning to know our God, know our creator, to know he can be with us, what he's done, what he's going to do, how he's going to take care of this earth, how he's, he's going to manage our eternity? You got, I tell you what, we got the chance this morning to be a God chaser. As long as there has been a God, there have been God chasers. History is filled with their story. God chasers transcend time and culture. They come from every background imaginable. They come from every era of time that has existed, from Abraham, the wandering herdsman, to Moses, the adopted strutter, to David, the shepherd boy, and as the parade of time continues, the names keep popping up. People he mentions throughout history who weren't mentioned in the Bible, and I won't go into those now. But, you know, David, in his, uh, his, as he spoke this morning, he spoke about people to whom God gave promises, and they chased after him, but they waited patiently for God to move. But it was this really, this little bit here. Really, only history can tell us the names of God chasers but they're there. Are you one? God is just waiting to be caught by someone whose hunger exceeds his grasp. That was the little phrase. God is just waiting to be caught by someone whose hunger exceeds his grasp. I could finish there, couldn't I? And say, are you hungry for God this morning? The reason Noah was able to do what he did is because he was a God chaser. He sought after God, and the only way he knew what to do what was right was to prove God. Like Abraham did. And you know, the wonderful thing about God is we can prove him. In every situation of our lives, we can prove him. I can say to you, God is faithful because I've proved him to be faithful. I can say to you this morning that God actually answers prayer because he, he's faithful and he answers prayer. That's what he does. All sorts of prayers he answers. Some he doesn't answer. Some he hasn't answered for me. I've thought to myself, well, if I'd have had that or done that, then I'd have really got led astray. and I, you know, It wouldn't have been the best path for me. It's like a child asking for a box of matches to play with, isn't it? Pretty safe until you strike the match. You know? So you don't give your child a box of matches because he doesn't know how to use them. Or she. 
And there was it locally this morning and Nora playing with the fire engine this morning at the back on the floor. But it was only a toy. It couldn't put out the fire. It couldn't put out the fire. What we're talking about this morning aren't stories and toys. We're talking about a living God, an amazing God who can be proved. Who can be proved. And that's how Noah proved God and he sought after them. So much so that when he gets out the ark, the first thing he does is to build an altar. I just want to concentrate a few moments on this because it's all about worship. You know, someone you can prove, someone who's real, someone who answers prayer, someone you can speak to, someone you can turn to when you're in trouble, is real. Is real. Noah, build an altar. That's where I want to begin. Find it here. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar. Very interesting word, this word, build. Cain built a city. That's Adam's son. He built a city. Um, We read of Noah building the ark. That's wonderful and amazing. Here, he's building an altar. After Noah... There was, uh, the people moved on and they built a tower, a city and a tower, with a tower whose tops reached the heavens. That's another story, but that's a denial of God's promise in the covenant. But, you see, Noah builded an altar. What was an altar? How did I, I mean, how did Noah know what an altar was? What, what did it represent? What, what was it all about? I mean, who told... Who told Noah about building altars and making sacrifices on altars? And the only one before him that killed an animal was Abel. And that goes right back to the first story in the Bible that we have of Cain and Abel. So he was following God through history. And I think we need to do the same sometimes. Sometimes we say, oh, I can't see God. If only God was to say to me, or if he just only to write it in the sky, I would do it. Remember, God's a God of history. The Christian faith we have today and what we believe on was founded many thousands of years ago, right when Adam and Eve were created and they moved on, even after they sinned and they fell from the presence and the acceptance of God. Ever since that time, God has been here and working, even through this story. Noah built an altar. So what does this word build mean? Well, he built it, the ark to an exacting specification, if you like. Just as God told him to. He built that ark, and he did everything in building that ark as God told him to. And that was wonderful. But here he's building an altar. What does that mean? The word build means it has a starting place. It has a starting place. And in this new world, Noah is saying... I'm laying a foundation stone for generations to come. A starting place. A 
When young people get married and they start to build a family, you need to build an altar. If you want a home life and a family that's going to please and honour God and it could be proved to something of worthwhile, we need to start to build an altar. The place where God is honoured. In our home, in our lives, our children need to see that we love God. They need to see where we are in our relationship with God. In our church life, we need to have a starting place. We need to build that altar. The altar is the place to honour God. Because this is what Noah was doing. He was laying down a foundation to say, God is to be praised in this. God is to be thanked in this. There's no one like God. No one else could do this. I want to honour God. I will build an altar. And he did it. He started. He laid it down. In this new world which God has brought me to, of all I've got to do to being being fruitful and multiplying and, and, and just taking command of all these animals, first things first, let's remember the one who brought me through it. Let's remember the one who did this. Let's wonder who's so amazing. Secondly, it has a starting place. Secondly, it obtains children. You say, well, how does that... This is one of the complicated words that's put in the Bible that has lots of meanings. It, has, it obtains children. What does that mean? What I'm doing now, I'm laying down a pattern for those that follow me in the generations. This place of honouring God and giving thanks to him. I want to raise people to do the same thing. I want to draw others into this. And doing that, it delivers the attention for others. When Jesus was raised up on the cross, it drew people in. People saw what happened. As Jesus gave his life for us, for the world. It says, look, there's more to this than me just having an altar here today. I want others to do the same. And as we raise our families, as we live in church life, as people come in, we want them to do the same because that's God's way. It obtains children. Thirdly, it makes a project. It's intentional about approaching God. You say, well, if... If God helps me, I'll do something. Maybe I'll go to church one day. If, if just God blesses me, I, I, must, I might give, put another penny in the offering or something like that. No. This was Noah making a project. Because builded is really the heart of the architect. As he wants to lay down something. In this church, the thing we do first on a Sunday morning is to worship. So there's an altar here, there's a place to honour God in our society, in our community. And we want to make a project of that as such. Not a project, just a project as we know it, but you know, it's that intentional. It's that intentional to give thanks to God for his goodness. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. We might say, well, I've got a church if I have time to do it. And if I'm not doing anything else, if nothing else, sometimes church isn't that important. Brothers and sisters, the worship of God is a project. 
It's an intentional thing that we actually get up out of bed for and walk our way or drive our way to the place where God's going to meet with his people. It's a project. It's not a hobby and it's not a holiday, but this is so fundamental to the life of the church, the place of honouring God. He builded an altar. And thirdly, it repairs to maintain it. Throughout the Bible you read of people who repaired the altar because it had been broken down with stones or someone had kicked all the stones apart and say, we don't, this is rubbish what they're doing here, we have no part of it. And they had to repair the altar again to make sure the place of honouring and worshipping God was where it had been laid down. And the place for that today is in the church. The church should be, and I hope we're going that way, is that we're actually building a place that will honour God and respect him in all that he does. I'm going to have to leave it there because our time's gone. But I just want to maybe pray for us. If you just feel you want to lay down that foundation to give your life, your home, your work life, what occupies your time in the week to honour God. I think God is calling us just to lay down our altar today. Put in the stake and say, I'm here for God. I'm here for Jesus. He gave his life for me. And I don't want to be concerned really about too much else because this is what will take me through to eternity. Father, we thank you so much uh, for these accounts of how you dealt with mankind and how you built a relationship with mankind and how you brought onto the scene through all this Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. To worship Jesus is to worship God. To read our Bibles with the intent of believing it is to worship God. To pray with real requests is to worship God. To look to the future and to know that we can be saved in this life for the future is to worship God. When we come to this morning, Lord, we just want to give you thanks and praise and honour you for all that you've done, to thank you for your goodness to us, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.